Going to school is a journey that a lot of children don't look forward to. For some children, school is the bane of their life and they can't wait until they return home so they can chill out or hang out with their friends. Some kids love school and can't wait to get stuck in, get involved in extracurricular activities and are just excited to learn. For one girl back in 2003, the latter was definitely true and each day she would walk the very short distance from her home to the bus stop, although she would never return home that day or any other day. She didn't even make it onto the bus. And even now, over 18 years later, police still don't know what happened to her. Let's uncover the unsolved disappearance of Tabitha Tudors. Hello and welcome to the 57th episode of Uncover True Crime Podcast. My name is Stephanie and in each episode we uncover a different unsolved true crime case ranging from missing persons, unsolved murders and suspicious deaths. You can listen to the podcast on your favourite podcatcher such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at uncover underscore pod on Instagram at Uncover True Crime Pod, and you can join the Uncover True Crime discussion group on Facebook. Before we get started today, I do want to apologise for how my voice might sound in this episode. I've found out that I've tested positive for COVID-19. I'm doing okay compared to a lot of other people who have had this virus. However, I do have a cough and my voice does sound a little bit harsh, so I apologise in advance if my voice is slightly annoying or monotone during this episode. But, without any further ado, let's uncover the unsolved disappearance of Tabitha Tudors. Tabitha Danielle Tudors was born on the 15th of February 1990 in Nashville, Tennessee. Her parents, Bo and Deborah, and her two older siblings, Kevin and Jamie, lived on the 1300 block of Lillian Street. And by all accounts, Tabitha had a typical suburban childhood. She was a perfect student with straight A's, perfect attendance, a good group of friends and was involved in the choir at her local church. She was very close to her mother Deborah who told the media, quote, The only time we were apart was at work and school. We were inseparable. She didn't act like a normal 13 year old. She was 13, but sometimes she acted like she was 8. She would just rather be here with us than doing anything else. Unquote. Tabitha was known to sneak into her parents' room at night and curl up on the floor at the end of their bed, proving that even though she was at an age where a lot of girls start to pull away from their parents, she was closer to them than ever. Her room was filled with plush toys, a poster of her name on her wall, and the colour purple which was her favourite. There was nothing in Tabitha's life that was out of the ordinary until one day she left her home to go to school. Not only did she not attend school that day, she would never return home. At 6am on the 29th of May 2003, Deborah Tudors woke up to find Tabitha sleeping at the end of their bed like she often did. Not wanting to wake her husband or her daughter up, Deborah crept around the room to get ready for work and left a short time later. Soon afterwards, her husband Bo woke up and also started to get ready to leave for work. Tabitha was still asleep on the floor so he gave his daughter a gentle nudge to wake her up so she could get ready for school. Tabitha responded to her father saying, quote, All right daddy, I'm getting up. I love you too. Unquote. Tabitha was a very responsible young girl and was always able to get herself up and dressed in the morning after her parents left for work. Her older sister Jamie was living back at home at the time, although she wasn't up when Tabitha left for school, so she didn't speak to her that morning. Tabitha likely left the house at 7.50am as usual and witnesses did see Tabitha walking her usual route to the bus stop, which would have taken around two minutes according to Google Maps. Witnesses saw her walking to the bus stop and nothing seemed out of the ordinary. 
When she didn't return home after school, her parents became concerned as it wasn't like her not to come home and not to tell them if she was going to a friend's house. Tabitha went to the bus stop hoping it was just late, but the bus never showed. She then went to the school and was eventually able to talk to a teacher who told her that Tabitha hadn't been at school that day. By this point, it was 6pm and Tabitha's parents both knew that there was something wrong and immediately called the police. By the time that anyone realised that Tabitha was gone, she'd been missing for around 10 hours, so time really was of the essence. Tabitha had no history of acting out before, so her family knew that something terrible must have happened to her, but some of the officers on her case believed that she was a runaway. Police didn't issue an Amber Alert, which has since been heavily criticised, but the Metro Police spokesman Don Aaron defended the decision, saying, quote, The police department was unable to determine that an abduction had occurred. There was no physical evidence of that, unquote. For any listeners who don't know, the Amber Alert stands for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response, which is a broadcast put out to the public when a child has been abducted. According to their official website, there are specific criteria that needs to be met in order for an Amber Alert to be issued. 1. Reasonable belief that an abduction has taken place. 2. That police believe there is an immediate threat of serious bodily harm or death to the child. 3. That there is a detailed enough description of the victim to circulate to the public and other law enforcement agencies. 4. That the child is under 17 years old. And 5. That the case has been entered into the National Crime Information Centre database. According to the official Amber Alert website, it is up to the police to make a judgement call as to whether or not a child has been abducted and is at immediate risk of harm. And as there was no concrete evidence of a kidnapping, this is probably why the police didn't issue one in Amber's case. We will never know how the investigation could have gone if one had been issued, and I am not defending the police for not issuing one, but I don't think this was a case of sloppy police work, just a judgement call made in good faith, but unfortunately it may have had devastating consequences. One thing that can't be excused though is the actions of the Metropolitan Police Chief Deborah Faulkner who blamed the Tudor family for taking three days to determine what Tabitha was wearing when she disappeared and for the lack of progress in the case. Tabitha's parents were devastated by their daughter's disappearance and I can imagine that they really would have struggled to remember every item of clothing that she owned at this time so I don't think it's strange that it took them three days to narrow down what she must have been wearing when she left the house. It has since been determined that she was wearing a light blue shirt, mud jeans and Reeboks trainers. Deborah Faulkner was only an interim police chief and another chief was elected seven months after Tabitha went missing. Whether or not this re-election had anything to do with her actions after Tabitha disappeared, we don't know. While no one actually witnessed Tabitha being abducted, one boy from her neighbourhood stated that he saw her getting into a red car when he was waiting at the bus stop. He stated that the male driver of the car was African-American, between 30 to 40 years old, and was wearing a baseball cap. He stated that once Tabitha was in the car, the driver reversed the car and drove in the opposite direction. In this boy's account, Tabitha got into the car willingly. However, many people are sceptical about his version of events. Her family said that she would never have gotten into a car with someone that she didn't know, and the police were never able to confirm this boy's story. Sniffer dogs were brought out to the neighbourhood and they tracked her scent from her house, which led them towards the bus stop until they suddenly went down a nearby alley which is where her scent ended, although her friends are adamant that Tabitha would never have gone down that way alone. 
Teenagers are by nature unpredictable, so I don't think it is outside the realm of possibility that she diverted from her usual route, but it was very out of character for her and probably very unlikely that this is what happened, however not impossible. Thinking that Tabitha might have met a dangerous stranger online, police took a look through the computer that Tabitha would access at her local library, looking for any chat room activity or suspicious emails, but again they found nothing. When they searched her room looking for clues to her whereabouts, they found business cards with Tabitha's name, address and phone number on them, which had call me and sexy girl typed onto them. The police looked into these cards thinking that it was a possible lead in her case, but they soon discovered that it was one of her friends who made these cards as a joke and had given them to Tabitha, so this lead went nowhere. When searching her room, they also found a note that had been written by Tabitha, which read, quote, T-D-T-N-M-T-L. Unquote. The first set of initials, TDT, stood for Tabitha's full name, but police were unable to determine who the other initials belonged to. It is quite common for teenage girls to write their initials along with the initials of a boy that they fancy beside them, so while MTL could be a man she met who was grooming her, it is also possible that this was completely innocent. People in her neighbourhood pulled together and started their own search for Tabitha. A group of residents who called themselves Team Tabitha searched in abandoned buildings for her put up posters and even went door to door hoping that they would find someone who knew something about where Tabitha might be but they never found a trace of her. A few months after her disappearance, police set up a command centre at LP Field, now known as Nissan Stadium, so they could focus on finding her. They combed the streets of Nashville looking for evidence and witnesses. On the 30th of October, a trucker contacted the police as he believed that he'd seen Tabitha and another teenage girl in Linden, Indiana, which is around a three and a half hour car journey from her home. I don't know if the girls were trying to hitch a ride or where exactly the trucker saw them, but he did say that the girl he thought was Tabitha looked scared and anxious. A hotel clerk, also in London, Indiana, also stated that she saw Tabitha and another teenage girl accompanied by a male adult. I assume that they checked into the hotel that the witness worked at, but I don't know this for sure as not a lot of information about these two tips have ever been released to the public as neither of them have ever been confirmed. In August last year, over 30 years Years after Tabitha went missing, police searched land in Back Piney Road in Hickman County, just under 50 miles from Tabitha's home, in relation to her case. Sergeant Charles Rutsky stated that it was a mix of, quote, old and new information, unquote, that led them to search this area, and we don't know if anything was found. I think his choice of words is interesting, as it suggests to me that perhaps a recent tip they had received in the case matched up with an older tip, which does sound promising. Little has been publicly stated about the suspects or persons of interest in this case, but this is the part of the episode where we discuss theories which, like all theories we discuss on this podcast, are pure speculation. As with most missing persons cases, Tabitha's family were investigated to rule out the possibility that anyone within the Tudor home was involved in her disappearance. According to Tabitha's sister Jamie, she took several polygraph tests, although she stated that the results of the tests were likely affected by statements made to her by the police immediately prior to the test taking place. The very first detective who ever spoke to me told me they were going to take my kids away if I failed those. He told me that my family and everyone else was going to see me on the news. 
unquote. Jamie was initially told that she failed the tests, but they then told her that they were inconclusive and after a while, the police stopped investigating the family. As many of you will know, I do not put any stock into polygraph tests at all and they are pretty pointless, so I don't think that this proves anything at all. I don't think the Tudor family have ever been ruled out as being involved, although nothing suggests that they were involved in her disappearance either. The next theory I want to discuss relates to the unconfirmed sighting of Tabitha by the boy at the bus stop. The description of the driver and the car just so happened to match that of Tabitha's sister's boyfriend. He would have gotten off of work that morning at 7am just before Tabitha went missing. He used to live in the Tudor household so he knew Tabitha's routine and where she would have gotten on the bus. However, I don't know what his motive would have been unless he had prior convictions that we don't know about. Apparently, this individual was very uncooperative with the police but they were never able to find any evidence to implicate him in Tabitha's disappearance. Deborah stated that she doesn't believe that Tabitha would have willingly got into a car with anyone other than a family member. However, as this man did used to live with them, she probably would have seen him as family and trusted him enough to get into his car. Jamie is no longer with this individual. He has since married someone else and other than circumstantial evidence, nothing ties him to this case. Another theory is that Tabitha's disappearance is connected to another girl in the neighbouring state of Alabama. On the 19th of August 2003, 11-year-old Heaven Shea Ross left her trailer in Northport, Alabama with her sister to get on the school bus. Heaven's sister Alex walked a little bit ahead of her and as they walked to the bus stop, thunder and lightning started. Heaven's stepdad decided to drive them to school that day and as he drove up to the bus stop to get them, he found Alex, but Heaven was missing. Her remains wouldn't be found until three years later in a crawl space in an abandoned building just eight miles from where she lived. Police classed her case as a homicide but never released how she was killed and as far as I know, there are no suspects or persons of interest. Heaven and Tabitha were around the same age and they do bear a resemblance to each other, which is why people have speculated that whoever killed Heaven also abducted Tabitha. It is important to point out that the police have never publicly stated that they believe that the cases are connected and the girls did live over 200 miles away from each other. However, Alabama and Tennessee do share a border, so it's not totally impossible either. Sadly, there are many predators out there and it is probable that these cases aren't connected. However, I wanted to mention it anyway due to the similarities between the cases. Police also looked into convicted sex offenders who lived in the neighbourhood where Tabitha lived and unfortunately there were several. Just days before Tabitha went missing, a 52-year-old man called Milnard Errol Smith approached an 11-year-old boy on his motorcycle and pretended to know his mum. As the description that Milnard gave was accurate, the boy trusted him and he got onto Milnard's motorcycle. He led him to an old abandoned trailer where he planned on sexually assaulting the boy. Once he realised he was in danger, he ran to get help and Milnard was arrested. He had picked up the boy just a few blocks from Tabitha's home and they both went to the same school, which is how people made the connection between these two cases. Milnard has a long criminal history, including many sexual assaults and other crimes. The Tudor family didn't recognise him, but he was known to many in the area of 
for trying to lure young boys and girls onto his motorcycle. I believe at some point he was considered a person of interest in Tabitha's case, however there is no concrete evidence that implicates him in her disappearance. There are also rumours that a couple who lived in the same street as Tabitha were involved as they were arrested for attempting to rape a young girl in their home, a crime which occurred not long before Tabitha went missing. But to be honest, there really isn't any publicly known evidence that implicates anyone in Tabitha's disappearance. Many think that Tabitha might still be alive and could have been sold into human trafficking. And while I hope that she is still alive, I really do hope that one day her family get closure. Even if Tabitha is no longer with us, her family deserves to put her to rest and to find out what really happened to her. Last year, the Tudor family released a statement to the media which read, quote, Every day we pray for answers in Tabitha's case. Today is no different. We appreciate the work law enforcement agencies are doing to try to find her after 17 long years. As we wait patiently to learn more, we ask that you give our family privacy at this time. We have not given up hope that we will find Tabitha. Unquote. Staff at Bailey Middle School, where Tabitha attended at the time of her disappearance, created a memorial garden for her. They planted a cherry blossom tree and had a bench engraved with, quote, dedicated to the memory of Tabitha Tudors, unquote. The memorial garden is not the only way that Tabitha is remembered, as her memory still lives on in the hearts of those who knew her, those who desperately need to know where she is and why she was taken from them so young. I'm now going to give you a description of Tabitha. Tabitha Danielle Tudors was 13 years old when she went missing on the 29th of May 2003. If alive today, she would be 31 years old. She had sandy blonde hair, blue eyes, stood at 5 foot 1 inches tall and weighed 100 pounds. She had a fair complexion, freckles and a birthmark on her stomach and a scar on her hand. Each of her ears were pierced once. When she was last seen, she was wearing a light blue shirt, jeans made by the brand Mud, and Reeboks trainers. If you have any information on Tabitha's whereabouts, please contact the Nashville Metro Police Department on 615-862-8600, or you can call the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children on 800 843-5678. You can also submit an anonymous tip to the FBI. That is everything I have for you today. Thank you for listening to the very end. Please stay safe and have a good night.